I've been noticing I say the same things that he used to say. And I even find myself acting the very same way. I tap my boots on the table to the rhythm in my soul. And I jingle the car keys when I'm ready to go. When I look in the mirror, he's right there in my eyes, staring back at me. And I realize the older I get, the more I can see how much he loves my mother and my brother and me. And he did best that he could, and I only hope when I have my own family. Every day I see a little more of a father and me. So I thought it was being just a little bit hard on me But now I understand he was making me become the man he knew that I could be Oh, with everything he ever did, he always did it for love And I'm proud to say, say I'm sorry When somebody says I hope I get to meet your dad I just smile and say Already have the older again. The more I can see how much it loves my mother and my brother and me. And he did the best that he could. And I only hope when I have my own family. Every day I see the more of a bummer. It's in my eyes. That it could. And I only hope when I have my own family That every day I see Ooh, I hope I see yeah. I hope every day I see A little more of a For you who don't know, that was my son, Justin. And <laughs> our programming team giving 10 to 1 odds, I'd cry. And my lip was quivering before he started. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Oh, they got me to a country song. Keith Urban. Shoot. <sighs> country. Hey. <laughs> At least we did a rock tribute before. <laughs> Shouldn't his name be Keith Rural? I mean, that sounds like a rap name, Keith Urban. Anyway. All right. You know, that's what every single father wants, right? To hear our sons or our daughters say how proud they are of us. You know, to say, I'm proud to be your son or your daughter. That's what we all want. We all want to leave a legacy to be proud of. But how do we do that? And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, the world tells us, dads, um, that if our kids are going to be proud of us, we got to be strong like this, right? <laughs> we got to be rich like that. We got to be powerful as Gordon Gecko. We got to be fearless as William Wallace. We got to be successful, prestigious, hot like Hasselhoff. <laughs> right, maybe not. <laughs> You know, when my kids were little, I, I remember, uh, you know, I thought I could get away with this little ego boost. And so I asked them, hey, kids, who, who is the bravest, strongest, most handsome, powerful man in the universe? And they immediately said, Santa Claus. <laughs> Don't try that at home, dads. It will not work. But how many dads, you know, seeking to prove that we are men worth being proud of, actually ended up being proud of the wrong thing, or our dads ended up being proud of the wrong thing, and it actually hurt us as kids. And we gotta be aware of that. If we're proud of the wrong thing, we pass on something that actually hurts our kids. You know, I never knew my granddad, uh, my father's father. I, I still don't know his name. It's kinda weird, isn't it? He was hated by his children. You know, all I really know of the story I can piece together is that he was failing his family during the Great Depression. They, they lived in Odessa, outside of Odessa, Texas. And during the Great Depression, he, uh, my, my father and his family, they were in poverty. I think probably my granddad felt so ashamed because he couldn't provide financially that he drank to ease the pain and he became the town drunk. And eventually, when my dad was three, he abandoned his family. He just gave up on him, probably because he couldn't live with the shame. And he wounded my dad so badly. My dad lived out of that pain. Ironically though, my granddad probably could have been a hero to my dad. I would not only know his name, I'd be telling stories about how despite all the financial struggles, what a hero he was to my dad because of how he loved my dad. Because I know so many people who grew up in poverty, but their parents were their heroes. Because they might not have had much financially, but they were rich in love. And when we are proud of the wrong things, we become dads our kids won't be proud of. But when we're proud of the right things, our kids will be proud of us. And it's true of who you're becoming. Even if you're not a parent, you leave a legacy when you're proud of the right things. So we're in this series, Emoji. We're looking at our moods and the different feelings we have. Today we're gonna to talk about what should we be proud of? What should we feel proud of? 
as, as parents, but also as people. And we're looking at Philippians chapter two. We're in this book of Philippians. We're working through the book together. Last week we looked at, at Philippians 1. Today we're going to look at Philippians 2, where we're going to look at the richest, strongest, most powerful, prestigious man who ever existed. And maybe you don't know him yet as your God, as your Lord, but either way, Jesus changed the world. And today he has billions of people following him and wanting to be like him. And what was it about him? Well, Paul, who wrote this letter to the Philippian church, reflects on Jesus and on what we as people should be proud of. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Don't be selfish, he says. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. See, Philippians 2 is all about Jesus' greatness that was demonstrated in humility. A strength in humility is truly the greatest legacy that we can leave as fathers, but also as people to the world around us. Jesus, think about it, was the strongest, the greatest, the most powerful ever, and yet he spent his strength on serving. And fathers, if we're going to leave a legacy... We must follow Jesus to serve, to, to spend our strength on serving. But I want, I want us to consider this carefully today because you know what? It's really difficult for us. We did this rock tribute earlier, and we, many of us grew up in the, in the 80s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and you may not realize it, but we grew up in the, in, in the environment that said worship self. And so it's really hard to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, we grew up, many of us, in the me generation. The 80s was actually the decade of self. It's called the me generation. Self-awareness, self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-actualization. I mean, we even produced a magazine called Self in that decade. It was all about me, me. The heroes of that, of that time were the ruthless, the self-aggrandizing, the, those who amassed fame and fortune, running over people, breaking laws, destroying marriages, all in the pursuit of self, and we held them up high. And this blatant self-centeredness produced a record number of broken homes, unwanted kids, fatherless kids, impoverished ghettos. But here's why this is important. Many of us grew up breathing that air. It was the time when the, the word latchkey kid was invented. You know why? Because it was a decade when people on surveys, adults on surveys, ranked new cars as more important than kids for a satisfying life. You don't believe me? Evidence of it? In the 80s, there was a rash of evil child movies every year. It's bizarre. Think about it. Children of the Corn, Damien, The Omen, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, every year. See, because our society was so self-obsessed, we demonized children to rationalize it. Now again, the reason this is so important is because it's not normal, it's not good, but it was normal for so many of us growing up. It was the air we breathed. We didn't know any different. And as a result, many of us got wounded by parents so pursuing self, but we got in us 
this bad fuel that says, if I'm ever going to be loved and valued, I've got to do what they did. I've got to prove my worth. And so Paul says, no, don't be selfish and don't try to improve yourself. Don't try to impress others, he said. See, when, when we are living to prove something to others, to prove that we're real men, dads, or to prove that we're rich enough, or strong enough, or street smart enough, or noticed enough, or whatever. When we're trying to prove something to others, it ends up being toxic fuel that burns our kids. You know, I discovered this the hard way. My dad actually wanted to be the best father he possibly could. He wanted to be the father to my sister and me that, that he never had. But because he was so wounded by his dad, uh, he didn't realize that God wanted to clean out that toxic fuel to help him truly be a better dad. He didn't know how to let God heal that wound by being his real father. And as a result, he had bad fuel that was driving him forward. And I gotta tell you, it took me many, many years to realize some of the fears passed on to me because my dad never cleaned it out himself. When my dad was six, at his birthday party, his father, who had not been around for three years, showed up drunk. And my dad, this little six-year-old kid, says to his drunk dad, Daddy, can I have a bike for, for my birthday? I mean, every six-year-old wants a bike, right? His dad said, you want a bike, son? Get it yourself. Get it yourself. My dad spent the rest of his life proving to his dad, I don't need you for anything, and I will get it myself. And he did. See, that bad fuel can work in the world system. My, my dad worked hard. He, he did well in school. He got a scholarship to Texas A&M. Yes, I'm the son of an Aggie. <laughs> you would have never, go ahead, Aggies, come on, pour them. Yes, Woo! I knew Gigum, I knew Hullabaloo Connect Connect at age six. Scarred me, it's why I went to UT. No, but you know, my, my dad, my dad was incredibly successful. He, he ended up putting himself through a master's degree. He started two companies. He was incredibly financially successful, and it killed him, literally, because the bad fuel was in there, and any time that fear of not succeeding, him, not proving to his dad he doesn't need him, would come up, he would smoke, he would drink, he had an ulcer. Ironically, when business was going bad, he became an alcoholic just like his dad. Not crazy? But it's what happens when bad fuel is driving us forward. On his deathbed, he said to me, John, I'd give it all back if I could just have my health and my family. When we try to prove to the world we're worth being proud of, we end up hurting those we love. And so Paul says, don't try to impress others. Don't try to prove yourself. Just be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests. We will look out after our own interests, that's okay. But not only that, take interest in others too. This is the attitude Jesus had. See, Jesus knew who he was. He was the son of God, the Messiah sent by God. He knew who he was. He didn't need to prove anything to anyone. He knew one day everybody would know. Everybody would see. But you know what? That's true of you too. 
Have you ever thought about that? It's true of you too. If you have turned your heart back to God, if you've received his forgiveness and, and his love offered through Jesus, you have been adopted as his son. You are a son, a daughter of the king of the universe. You have nothing to prove. You don't need to prove anything to anyone. You're of so much worth and value to God, he demonstrated it by coming as a human and pouring out his life for you. You're of that much worth. And you know, dads, there is nothing stronger you can pass on, no stronger legacy than the spiritual strength of knowing who you are, who your identity is, rooted not in what you do or prove, but who God says you are. Your identity in Christ is what you have to pass on that your kids will be proud of. And you know, dads, if if you don't have that assurance, that confidence that says, I don't need to prove anything to anybody, I'm fine. Then get in a life group with some other men, get some spiritual running partners, go after understanding that because that's a legacy your kids will be proud of. Philippians 2, 6 goes on and says, though he was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or hold to. Instead, he gave up or he emptied himself of his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or servant and was born as a human being. You know, this passage is is technically very theological. It's been debated for, for centuries. It's called the kenosis passage. Kenosis because the Greek word kenosis is the word to empty yourself to empty yourself. It says that the scriptures teach, you know, Jesus was fully God, but he emptied himself somehow. Now, Paul declares in other places, Colossians 2.9, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You know, John, who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, saw his miracle, saw his resurrection, in John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that, ha- uh, nothing made has been, <laughs> that has been made. I can't, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean. <laughs> you can read, can't you? Here's the point. (laughs) The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, this is a mystery. The mystery of God's self-revelation. It's tripped so many people up, but it's so important. Here's why. Jesus said you can call him Father. He is the one true Father. All our other earthly fathers are lesser, but they were there to demonstrate if they were willing what God says is true about us. But what's so important is to understand, you know, Christians don't believe there are three gods, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Jewish prophets made very clear there's only one God, but they also foretold a day and a time and a place that this one God would fuse divine nature with human nature. Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, foretold when mighty God would be born a son, come and live in the region of Galilee. Micah foretold a a, a time, I mean Malachi foretold a time when he said the God you're seeking will come to his temple in Jerusalem. That's where he had come. And then Daniel 
foretold not only the time, he said, and this Messiah will be killed, and then the temple will be destroyed. And it still hasn't been rebuilt to this day. It was destroyed in 70 AD. All this happened in history to prove this is the, the Father, the Heavenly Father revealing himself so that we can know what God is like, so that we will follow him. So Jesus is 100% God, but in bodily form. Now, how could that be? And here's why this is important, because sometimes we're proud of the wrong things. We're proud of our intellect, and, and I hear people say things like, well, that's just stupid. I mean, God became a little baby? Who was ruling the universe when God couldn't change his own diapers, huh? Right? And, and, and we get proud of our intellect, but we, we miss our limitations. And we're not humble to realize that, hey, we're humans. We're bound by three dimensions of, of space and one dimension of time, and God's not bound by our dimensionalities. And so if he's going to explain himself, there are going to be things we don't fully understand. Now, think about it this way. You know, if I created a flat world, a two-dimensional world, like this sheet of paper where creatures could move forward and back and side to side, but there is no up or down. They can't even conceive of up or down. Well, then I, as the creator, could be right with them all the time, millimeters away, always with them, and they would not even have a clue where I am, right? I could do miracles. I could enter their world and come out. I could take things in and out of their world. I could do all kinds of stuff. And if I revealed myself to them, I would reveal myself, but just as a slice. They could only get a two-dimensional circle of me, right? A round slice. And if I tried to explain that I'm actually three slices, but I'm only one being, that would be a paradox. That wouldn't make any sense because three slices in their two-dimensional plane can never be connected as one because they can't be stacked up in three dimensions. But I really am these three revealed slices, but only one being. The paradox resolves in higher dimensionality. Jesus was 100% God, and yet he emptied himself to become 100% human. He never became less than 100% God, but he was 100% us in every way so he could identify with us. It's paradoxical to us, but it resolves in higher dimensionalities. And what's important for us today is realizing what true greatness, what true power, what true brilliance and glory does. Think about it. The power that created the beauty and the wonders of earth. The might and the strength that flung billions of stars into billions of galaxies. That one humbled himself. Set aside his rights to serve those he loved. It's amazing. Fathers and the rest of us, if you want to truly be great and powerful, people your kids will be proud of. Be proud of humility. Humble yourself. Enter into their world. Take interest in what matters to them. Serve them. Lift them up. Build them up. Empty yourself of the need to get them to prove you're good by what they do. Empty yourself of the need to become great and instead help them be great, and they will be proud of you. Follow Jesus, who emptied himself and humbled himself to serve. Now, you know, some of us didn't have fathers growing up. 
or, or we didn't have much of fathers growing up. And here's what you need to understand. That's why you need to know who your heavenly father is and who he revealed himself to be because you can pass on a better legacy than you got. And that's what my dad did for me. And I am so grateful. He was imperfect. It wasn't perfect. But he did humbly serve us. He wanted to be the father to us. He never could. And I remember the many times when I would wait at the gate until he came home. And he always came home from work at the same time to be with me and my sister and invest in us. And he played baseball and he played soccer with us. And he taught me. And he told me how proud he was of me and how smart I was. He blessed me. He taught me work. He had, he had me work alongside him to teach me responsibility. And he would enter my world and the things that were important to me, and it was a blessing to me. You know, and I, I still remember uh, this one time, I don't know why this one locked in my mind, but it's a good reminder that, dads, when you take the time to just be with your kids and the things they, they love and invest that blessing, it sticks with them. They'll never forget it. You know, for me, I was in sixth grade, and uh, I loved sailboat racing. I don't know why, I just did. And the world's was in Corpus Christi. My dad didn't really care that much about it, but he got up before the break of dawn, and we walked out on this breakwater, and we sat there and watched these boats sail out to race. But it wasn't the sailboats. It was something about my dad, this pillar of strength, this, this man who represented God to me, just being there with me, just a, an arm around my shoulder, a rub of the head, just telling him how much he is enjoying being with me. He was passing on a blessing. And I remember to this day, I never wanted that moment to stop. And it wasn't about the boats. You know, uh, when my son Justin was seven, I remember we went out to the Massengale Ranch where we used to do baptisms. And uh, we were just going to spend a day together, just playing. And uh, we, we got in kayaks, and we were going in the kayaks, and we got kind of crazy, and we rolled it. And he just laughed at Dad, soaking wet in his clothes. And then we did kayak wars, and we're ramming the kayaks. And we did this rope swing, and I helped him overcome his fear of the rope swing. And then we went up on this, hiked up this mountain, we found these ancient fossils. And, and as the sun is going down, he said, Dad, please, 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 can we keep, can we stay can we stay? And my first thought was, no, you know, the sun's going down. We got to go home. And I thought, something's happening here. And I just made the decision in the moment. Yeah, let's stay. Let's camp. And so we ended up camping there that night in this tree fort with Charlotte's Web, <laughs> the spider. And uh, we laid out and we looked at shooting stars. We, we fished that night. We, we talked till late in the night. That morning we got up and we were sitting on in, you know, with our feet in the river looking at this beautiful morning. It was like a taste of heaven. And I just, I, my heart was so full. And I just said to him, man, I, this has been so fun. And, and this little seven-year-old boy, he says, yeah, dad, can we stay? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it hit me. I was thinking, what's going on in his little heart? And it hit me. The blessing. It's what I felt from my dad. I think that might be what he's feeling. And you know, the moment had to end. All moments have to end. But it's a little taste of heaven, dads, when you enter into your kid's world and you just bless them. 
You just tell them how much you enjoy being with them, how proud you are of them, just that you love them. Because that's how our Heavenly Father feels about us. Fathers, that's what we need to be proud of. That we humble ourselves to enter their world and we make sacrifices to bless them. It's a legacy they'll never forget. Philippians 2.7 continues, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You know what made Jesus the greatest human ever? Is that he was far more courageous than a prize fighter. He was far braver than William Wallace. He was willing to obey God fully, even if the consequences in in an evil, sin-stained world was that it would crucify him. That is true courage. Fathers, you want your kids to think you're courageous and strong and brave. It'll never come from powerlifting. It'll never come from machismo. It'll never come from brawling or never backing down in an argument. It'll never come from hiding and never letting them see your weaknesses or your fears. That is weakness just wrapping itself up in a brown paper bag labeled strength. We all know we can see past it. True strength is strength of character. It's a character strong enough to admit mistakes. It's a character strong enough to say, I'm sorry when you were wrong. It's a character strong enough as your kids grow up to show that real men do get hurt and angry and even have fears, but there is a healthy way to deal with it, and it's by trusting in one who's stronger and braver and more courageous and has no fear but perfect love that casts out all fear. Dads, is that the kind of man you want to be that leaves a legacy that is brave and courageous so that your kids know you wouldn't compromise integrity even if it cost you money, right? You were so courageous and brave that, that you would do what's right even if it cost you your job. That you were so brave and loving, you would not be ashamed of the God you follow, even if you got mocked and persecuted. Is that the kind of courage you want? Because if you are courageous to obey God, no matter what the cost, you will leave a legacy that people will be proud to follow. You'll be a person people will have been proud to know. You'll be a person God was proud of. You know, in World War II, Butch O'Hare was a fighter pilot. He was stationed on an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific. And his squadron took off on a mission one day, and as they were flying out uh, miles from, from the aircraft carrier, he realized someone hadn't t- topped, off, topped off his fuel tanks, and so he had to go back. He had to abort the mission. But on his way back to the aircraft carrier, he noticed a squadron of Japanese Zeros coming to attack the aircraft carrier that was now basically defenseless because the whole squadron was on a mission. Butch O'Hare, with no thought of his own safety, realized he's got to protect the ships. And so he dove at these the, the zeros with guns blazing. He, he took one after another enemy plane by surprise, and he kept going until he was completely out of ammo. And when he was completely out of ammo, not thinking about whether he lived or died, he kept diving at them, trying to clip a wing or clip a tail, until finally 
they didn't have enough gas to, to do their mission and get back, they turned and flew away without ever ta- attacking the ships. When Butch O'Hare landed on the aircraft carrier, the, the camera on his wing, plane wing showed what he had done to his, to his own safety, the detriment of his own safety. He became a national hero. In fact, Chicago O'Hare Airport is named after Butch O'Hare today. He said, What inspired him was his father. You know, years earlier, Al Capone was a gangster, a mob, you know, head of the mob in Chicago. He was putting Chicago in all kinds of of corruption, all kinds of, of prostitution and extortion and murder. It filled the streets of Chicago. He ruled Chicago. And his lawyer's name was Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie kept Al out of prison for years because he was such a good lawyer, and Al Capone rewarded him with anything he wanted. Easy Eddie lived in a mansion that took up an entire Chicago block. He had whatever he wanted. He, he ended up having a son, Easy Eddie, that he loved very much. Nothing, he, he would hold nothing back. The best goods, the best education. He wanted his son to have the best of everything. But as his son grew up, Easy Eddie started to be troubled that there was something he could not give his son. He couldn't give him a good name, and he couldn't model a good heart. And that started to bother him more and more and more until finally Easy Eddie made a tough decision. He would make right all the wrongs that he had done. He would t- testify against Al Capone. He would try to, to, to shine up his tarnished name so that he could give his son the name and the example that he wanted, that he realized was more important than anything else he could give him. And so he testified against Al Capone and it eventually ended up bringing down this racket of evil in Chicago. But it cost Eddie his life The next year, he was taken out in a blaze of gunfire. But his legacy didn't end because Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. Courageous obedience, like Jesus demonstrated, is the greatest legacy you can leave. To do what's right, to do what God wants, no matter what, it will cost you. Dads, I say that because it's never too late. No matter what you have done or haven't done, it's never too late to leave a good name and a good example and a good legacy for your kids by obeying God, no matter what the cost. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has the name above every name. And even though the, the earth doesn't realize it yet, it one day will. God honored him. And you know what? The truth is God wants to honor you one day as well. Not in the exact same way, but when you, when you humbly serve others, when you obey and have courage no matter what the cost, God promises one day he will lift your name up as well. And that is what leaves a legacy 
that others, our kids and those who come after us will be proud of.